It's another Tuesday evening on 97.3 City FM, and guess what? We are about to talk technology, but then with a very different twist. Today, we are talking about the power of value chains and why it's important for us to take very particular notice of it, especially in the building of our tech companies. Well, it's going to be great. You can join us with your thoughts, and I'll be telling you all about that in just a second. You're welcome to City Trends. My name is Philip Sean and you're welcome to City Trends. Today we'll be talking about value chains as catalysts for expansion. You might probably be wondering why is this such an important topic? Well, without a proper value chain within your business, guess what? Your business is not going to grow. But then you need to pay attention to some particular things within that value chain, depending on the stage of growth of your tech business. Well, that is what we're going to be discussing today. Value chains are really, really important parts of building businesses, but a lot of people don't tend to pay attention to it. That is why I think this conversation is important to your business. So I will be having three people joining me for this particular conversation because we had a conversation around this last week and I had some really, really interesting thoughts from Sean Dugan, who is obviously an investor, um, from from Kobina Atabedu, and of course from Margot Petura. So let's get straight into the conversation, shall we? First to come up and join me now is Sean Dugan. Um, Sean is an investment promotion ex. Then Kobina Atabedu, he's the managing consultant at MacArthur and Associates Limited. And um, Margot Pitura. Margot is Programs Manager, Macroeconomic and Trade Section, EU Delegation to Ghana. Margot, thank you so much. Um, uh, Sean, I, I will probably start with you since you're closest. Um, I'll start off the conversation with you and just wanted to call out some of the, the key issues in the topic itself. Value chains as catalysts for expansion. From, from where you sit, when, when, when businesses, young businesses, bigger businesses talk about value chains, how critical is it, do you think, in terms of how a business runs and how a business operates? How critical are value chains and the attention we pay to it in terms of how we build businesses? It's interesting you should ask that question. Um, I, was I was speaking with a, um, a business that I'm mentoring at the moment um, and was going through their business proposition, so their business proposal. And the one thing that struck me is that they don't think about the value chain. They think about lots of other things associated with setting up their business and their technical input to it but they do not use the, the, the view of, of a value chain as something that they can utilize to... Um, it, but it struck me in that conversation that, that like other businesses that we've come across, they're not looking at the value chain as important for their business. Um, they're focusing on, particularly during the early and startup stages, they're focusing very much on, here's my idea, how I can make it work, will somebody buy it, where can I get the money to fund it? 
they don't think about the value chain in the context of the development and management of their business. Now that, that's, that's a real big problem because it means that they, they are, don't have the span of attention that covers a value chain. Now that's, that's not a criticism as such, but it's certainly something that needs to be developed, which is why I was quite interested in participating in this event where the focus is on the value chain component. Right, right. But I mean, when we say value chain to probably the uninitiated, what exactly does that encompass? You know, because yes, it is important for me to think about where the funding is coming from and who I'm going to appoint where, but when we say value chain, what does that cover? A lot. Um, and, and in fact, I dug out um, uh, a piece of work that I was involved in that, that looked at that very question. Right. So when we talk about value chain, what, what are we actually talking about? Mm -hmm. Um, and I've got one, two. Oh, that's a lot. Eleven principal components, hmm. but it's influenced by a lot of other issues. Right. So, in terms of um, uh, kind of how you might classically think of a value chain, if you start off at a kind of quest basic question, is there a market for my product? So some basic research issues that need to be dealt with first. Mm. Um, how can I then translate that into something practical that I can do as a business? One thing that businesses invariably ignore, intellectual property protection. Intellectual property protection. That, that has become a big topic in Ghana in the last 24 hours, intellectual property. Yeah. Interesting. And that's before you do prototyping. Mm. Protecting the idea. If you don't protect the idea, somebody else is going to prototype it. I guarantee that. That, that gap alone is worth focusing on. And invariably, one of the things that, that potentially is missing from the Ghana environment is the, the support and advice on how to deal with intellectual property issues. But the reality is your business is not only its sales, it's actually the intellectual property that goes into the business. You can sell that as an, as a, as an item on its own. Mm. Mm. Um, so even before you think about prototyping and building something, think about how you're going to protect it. Um, it's almost never spoken about. Beyond prototyping, it's then basically what I call crash testing. Is this product actually going to work in the way that I'm anticipating it, that it will be used in real life? Basically, yeah. But then it's also the certification and approvals process. It's not enough. And in fact, the conversation I had yesterday is that he's He's currently in the testing and evaluation process, and he hasn't really thought about some of the basic research, right. applied research. He has, he, in, when you talk to him about intellectual property, he, he looks at you blankly. Right. Um, he hasn't prototyped. He's gone straight into product testing. So he's missed out some basic components. Then a question I said, well, okay, you're prototyping, but to what standard are you prototyping to? And he couldn't tell me. <laughs> he was just saying, oh, well, it's got to be safe. Yeah, I understand that, but 
you've got to think about the certification and approvals process because your customers are likely to want it. Then that's assuming that you get it into production. You've then got to start about thinking your inbound logistics. Where am I going to get my inputs from to allow me to produce so that I can market something meaningfully? Um, then it's all about how can I get that to market? And he's got a particular challenge in, in terms of his cold chain management. He needs to, to cold chain his production process from his inbound inputs to all the way to the end consumer point. He's got to manage all of that. Um, then, and the other thing he's critically not aware of is his after sales. There's a, again, it's a blank space for him. It's almost as if he, it's enough for him to sell something and he doesn't need to do anything more than that. That's what classically is in my mind when I'm, when I'm thinking about value chains. But that's all issues that are potentially under the control of uh, a business. But you cannot l run that operation in isolation. There are all sorts of in external influences and, and, and factors that impose their will on your, your ability to run and operate that business. Plus then, there's the... There's more. Yeah, there's more. The added complexity is that because you can't do this on your own, you'll be in a better position if you can get relationships that allow you to facilitate each of these activities. If you genuinely believe that you can run your business completely independently, I would argue you're completely misguided. It's not possible. Look to the person on your left and right. Is there any way that they can help you and you can help them? It's, it's that creative collaborative competition that ultimately will work, not only as an, for the business, but for the wider community. It's the fundamental building block and why, why some economies are successful and why others aren't. I mean, that, that puts me in a very weird place because... So I can sorry about that. And, you know, <laughs> I can imagine, you know, the number of young businesses who set off probably in stage five or stage six of this, this chain that you're talking about and have probably never thought of all the other components. Mm -hmm. Yes, it might have crossed their mind, but I'm guessing they'll deal with it when they come to it. And once again, the issue of partnerships and how important partnerships are um, in, in all of this. Margot, I mean, listening to, <laughs> listening to Sean there, um, you deal a lot with um, potentially businesses that are looking at doing trading out of probably the jurisdiction of Ghana and, and, and things like that. Do you often encounter a lot of businesses who haven't probably thought through this entire chain potentially? And how, how do you, because I'm guessing you offer some level of advice for them or to them as, as well. How do you even go about starting off that conversation in the first place? Indeed, in my work at the EU delegation here in Ghana, um, I arrived, by the way, uh, quite recently, um, five months ago, and I noticed immediately um, that your question is very relevant. Do they, entrepren uh, do they think um, about, about this outbound logistics? So the product they have, all right, 
is a great product, but I have an impression too often it stays in the country. And it, there is this um, problem they face to, to reach out to the international markets and value chains, mm. which is a pity. And just uh, initial thoughts that I have gathered um, for my still relatively short time in this country, uh, by the way, a beautiful country you have, um, <laughs> is, uh, is that together and that the EU, we, we, we are doing our utmost and uh, I also promise that through my at least four years here I will do something about it, is to take and use the leverage of the free trade agreements that Ghana has signed with the, with the neighbors, with the region, and now there is also African continental FTA developing itself. So there are plenty of opp opportunities. Oh, I forgot to mention the FTA that, that Ghana has in place with the European Union. So in fact, the Ghanaian entrepreneurs can export duty-free, quota-free, to the EU market, to ECOWAS, and also now to the whole Africa. And I have also met entrepreneurs who already export to the United States, Malaysia, United Arab Emirates, it's great. But, for example, the EU, so the bloc I represent, have quite stringent um, import requirements when it comes to quality control. Yeah, yes, the standards. And then, your great products face a wall because, because what you forget, not you are personally, I mean produce, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Right. I, it's more about what many of the entrepreneurs forget is to document the sourcing. Because when you fill in documentation, right, to export, then you can forget, oh, where did I take? Even for this she butter cosmetics, I visited Tamale and I met uh, she, uh, she processing centers and uh, some uh, entrepreneurs who then uh, do the marketing and uh, e-commerce, which is great, but they say, oh, we can export to the United States because they don't check like the EU, uh, which farm was this she butter coming from in case if there is a problem with the quality, um, I don't know, someone will get a skin burn. And then, then just in order to be able to stop this particular product from uh, having more people having, getting skin burn, right? That's the, that's the reason to, to, to document your source. So please think about it already in your operations in this inbound logistics. Right. But I mean, mm. back, I, I, my concern and clearly from, from what Sean gave us the basis and from what you're saying in terms of even scaling your business, mm. there is so much in, in, in the middle that needs to be, to be taken care of. And yes. I just wanted to find out from yeah. you what sort of conversations you have with businesses who are missing these basics in terms of the components of the value chain that they're supposed to be paying attention to. Right, so I think your question is, uh, I'm not sure my answer will touch upon what you are thinking because there are many elements. Very, huh? yes, quite a lot. Right, yes. Well, when we speak to them, um, 
I think they, 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 there is simply, uh, for them, not enough thought about the operations, even the bookkeeping, um, because to scale up, usually to, to pitch to investors, to, 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 to become, to grow, you need to have your bookkeeping and your exactly track record, easy to pres easily presentable and in one place stored on the fire. And uh, a lot of companies uh, here do not track it, do not. It's, so there is always this tracking issue with the sourcing, as I said previously, and then with your own um, business management, business administration. So, so let's sensitize each other and among your networks, please tell your colleagues that, you, that the bookkeeping and the tracking of the business operations needs to be in place only then you will be able to, to scale up. Later in the conversation, I'll be finding out from you what you know, those sort of um, criteria are, um, at least for some of the businesses, at least for media, for agric, and some of the other areas that we are focusing on today. I'll be asking you what some of those criteria, criteria are. But, <laughs> I mean, for now, I'm, I'm actually now a little worried, you know, because I'm worried because I, so I host a radio show, City Trends. I've been hosting it for eight years. I've spoken to at least like 500 tech entrepreneurs over the period. And half of them, Sean, have probably not even thought about those basics. And I'm just wondering, where, where, do, we, where do we start? Because obviously we have to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. where, where do we even start tackling it from mm -hmm. in the first mm -hmm. place? Mm -hmm. Okay, so this, this mic is low. Yeah. It's very low. Let's swap. Yeah, sure. It starts from our, our mindset, and it starts from our schools. So first thing you go to any business school, they have marketing option, accounting option, human resource management option, and it stays there. There's no option for supply chain management or procurement management. And very few schools have operations management as an option. So we don't look at our education as a full spectrum. We pick a piece, a piece, a piece, and we move on. The other side of it is, so there are several times that I've spoken to your station when you do your business, um, festival, business festival, those two yes. weeks. You pick on sales, you pick on product development, you pick on marketing, you speak to finance people. You never talk about procurement, which is responsible for inbound logistics. Now, to deliver any product, it is garbage in, garbage out. So if you get your input wrong, don't expect to get quality products out. Now, if I take what, um, what's the name? Sean, Sean spoke about. The earlier part up to inbound logistics is all about product development. And it's all about addressing a need in the market. So you are picking an insight and you are developing and testing that insight to the point where you have a product that will be of value. And that is what the value chain is about, ultimately to create value. And to create that value, you need to understand what they want. So if I touch, I, I connect it to what Madam said here. You want to sell into the EU, and you want to sell, let's say, tuna. There are various variants. But the EU specifies that we want this specific variant. Now, how many times do we take our time to check our fish stock 
if we have that variant? And what volumes will, be, will, we, be, will, be, will we be able to deliver over a certain period? And if we don't have it, can we develop it? If we can't, what are the options? We don't think through that. So we just always start off with kind of a product conceptual mindset. I want to build this product without looking, matching it to what the market is demanding. So you come to our great sector and we produce a lot of rice, maize, all that, but we can't export them because they are not of the quality and the grade that the export market would ex demand. And that is the core of the problem, is the mindset. Again, she said something about us not going international. I've had the benefit of working for multinationals all my life, and I've worked in Kenya. The average young Kenya who is about 25 years, if he has a business, within the first 24 months, he's looking to go into Tanzania. Within the first 36 months, he's look looking to get into Uganda. Give him five years, he would be in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and Rwanda. And we don't have that mindset to even go into, into Togo. We don't. In fact, we don't even have to go to Kumasi. No, no, no. We don't even go to Kumasi. We stay in Accra, and we are doing all the business in Accra. So it's a mindset problem. We are very narrow. We are very siloed. And we don't challenge ourselves much. <laughs> the spirit is... is, is. The spirit is high. The Holy Spirit is in the room. No, the Holy Spirit is very much in the room. Who thought that, that a conversation about things like inbound logistics and exporting could generate that kind of excitement? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. It's always a backburner. Right. And for someone who is a specialist in that space, I, I always get frustrated that why is it that people can see that the real value you are creating it's coming from how you get your inputs in, through the organization and out of the organization. And that is what value chain is about. And it, it, it seems like something that cuts across the very fabric of the business. It's Whereas a lot of people think of it as a department, it, from the conversation so far, it appears to be the very essence. It just, it just runs through every single part of the business. It is the core of the business. See, so the concept was propounded by Michael Porter, Harvard University. And what he did was to identify that there are a set of processes that every organization will take its inputs through before it gets to the customer. Now, how you run those inputs through the organization and out of the, into, through, and out of your organization will determine the kind of value you'd place or you'd receive for it. So let me make it, let me use an example. I want to make jollof. I need rice, but I need a form of stew to mix with the rice. Let it simmer and I get my jollof. I can choose to use fresh tomatoes, green tomatoes, or rotten tomatoes. If I choose to use rotten tomatoes, it's fermented so it will have a little bit of burning and acid in it. The taste will be different. If I use green tomatoes, it will, sound very it will taste very funny. But if you use the ripe red tomatoes, it will give me the quality I'm looking for. Now, if you decide that every tomato is tomatoes, and because I don't have money, so I'm going for the rotten one, the quality you provide will not get a market. But if you use the right ones, you'd get the market, and people will be willing to pay more. 
So if they compared Ghana jollof and Nigerian jollof, all apologies to Femi. I mean, the reason why a Nigerian jollof will never match Ghana jollof is because of the process the of the tomato. The process. You know, for Femi. Ghana and Nigeria, it's not just about football. It's also about jollof. And anytime we Femi get an opportunity, your we have to give one. Femi, change your tomatoes. No, it's not just it's not just the tomatoes, but how we make the jollof is different from how they make the jollof, and that is the core. So the process you use, so it's the recipe and the process. If you 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 don't get it right, you don't expect to get the quality that you are looking for, and that is the core. So that is the problem we have now. These things about records, administration, and all that—that that is what. Um, Porter identified as the secondary activities, the support functions, your administration, your HR, your procurement, your IT, your legal, and all. And you need advice from all these people on all these chain activities in the primary activities that deliver the product. Mm. The quality of the support from this place would also influence the quality that comes out of your organization. And very often, we don't spend time to focus on the secondary activities and the quality. So. Instead of hiring someone, or not just as an employee, but as an advisor on the legal aspects of what you are doing, I don't have money to do it. So he's not going to hire anybody. We'll just do it and get it out anywhere. Let's see. God will help. But in business, it's not about God will help. Everything must be orchestrated like Lego that you are fixing in bricks and pieces, and you get to the point you want to get to. That is the core of the problem. Sean, with, with that said, and clearly, as pointing out the importance of the value chain. Um, and for a lot of the businesses here who are looking at scaling, what should they start reconsidering or looking at? Because, I mean, some of the businesses that, for example, are here today have probably started, they are producing products already. I mean, it's never too late to go back and fix. What, what would you say should be some of the fundamental things they should start thinking about now? Even before they get to that point where, and I'll, I'll be coming um, to the EU conversation, they start trading even outside and expanding and growing. That's a tricky one. Um, that, that, that takes a lot of thinking about. But the, the first thing that occurs to me is whether or not the, the prime mover in the business can take advice. Um, very often the prime mover in a business yeah. is very focused and directed. Yeah. They have a view as to what they want. The problem is then they get fixated on that view and they don't take advice. So even if it's available and it's high quality, it can be ignored. I can agree with you 100% because <laughs> I've had a client like that. and. Um, we were discussing aspects of his business, and one major weakness was credit control, credit management. And I said, you can't run a business without a credit policy. You need a credit policy, and if you have a bad customer, it's a bad customer, you lose money, so cut him off. So he says, well, I hear you, but I can't do that. I'm, okay, if you can't do that, I, there's nothing I can do any more than that. Yeah. So getting them to accept the right advice is sometimes a problem. and. As an advisor, I can only advise. If you take it, fine. If you can't take it, well, too bad. Sure. So there, there is a step before that, though. Right. 
and that's asking for help and mm. advice. Mm. Um, very often there is a there is a, um, a perspective that if I ask for advice, uh, for advice, I'm somehow failing. Um, actually, that that's not correct. Asking for advice is is actually a very positive thing for whatever you do, irrespective of whether it's in business or not. Mm. But this combination of the two, asking, being able to ask for advice, not considering it to be fa a failure to do so, and then taking or acting on that advice, is almost entirely absent from most businesses. The consequence of that is that you, you spoke about you know, getting quality advice and maybe paying for it. Yeah. Well, often you don't have to pay for advice. And again, I come back to the conversation I had yesterday with a business that said, look, I, I need to see your product. You're going to sell me something in a bottle and everything that you're showing me in your presentation is not your bottle. Show me what, the, what, show me what your product is. Now look, if you, if you don't have the skills to mock up a bottle yourself, go to a university or a school, an art, an art person, and say, let me give you, let me give you the opportunity of, provide, of, of work mm. and what I want from you is, can you draft that for me, what my bottle might look like, please? I can't pay you, but you'll get the experience. Um, and maybe later on, we can think about employing you. Right. Almost invariably, that never occurs to somebody who's driven to focus entirely on their product. And, and so then you are stuck. And to add to that, right. you start the business with a very huge legal exposure. Because what happens is that if you are not able to pitch what your pro product will look like by presenting a prototype, um, legally what happens is the, um, if you take the Sale of Goods Act, you are selling by representation. And what you show me and what the final product should be should be the same. So you, if you end up showing me this as a prototype, and based on this I make a decision, and eventually what you bring me is significantly different from this, then it means you misrepresented your product. And I can sue you and make a lot of money off you. So a lot of businesses start off exposing themselves, end up presenting what is not what they pitched before the decision was made. But the only problem is that we are also a very um, legally unaware people. So we don't even know that these are the rights we have, so we don't take them. And that is why most of the time, small businesses get away with these legal exposures. Now, with, with, that, with that out of the way, I just wanted us to go to Margot briefly. And Margot, like I asked earlier, so I mean, we've, we understand just how epic the challenge is. We understand the mindset change that needs to happen. Now, let's say there is a business here, probably from the conversations today, there's a bit of homework that they need to do. But they, need, they want to do that. They want to send their business into all these other markets in Europe and EU and everywhere else. Once again, I just wanted to find out what are some of the very basic things that they need to have had in their arsenal before they start having conversations about expanding and moving their business in, businesses into the, into the territories that, that you have oversight over? Right. 
in the arsenal. The arsenal has to be quite substantial. <clears throat> but I think that the, oh, my voice, sorry. <coughs> it's uh, at the AC here, I guess. Um, um, so the arsenal, I was, <laughs> um, they should think of having the business well documented. So as I was saying, and I will repeat again, documentation on the source of products, documentation on your accounts, but also try and get the knowledge on how you actually do to export. So you need to find the buyers abroad. Already prior to sending it abroad, do your networking, connect yourself remotely. Now with the uh, digital technologies, it has become easier than in the past. So thanks to all, all, all that we have, the PC, the internet, we can also, thanks to actually a lot of projects that create like matchmaking platforms that do the B2Bs, that do the investment and the export for, uh, also try to attend them. Try to take advantage. If you see like trade fairs, uh, B2Bs, investments and, um, and trade events, try also to, to get there with your products or eventually services then you might get the contacts and search extensively online. Search who can be your partner. So then let's assume you already have someone who wants, who is in, uh, let's say, the Netherlands or France and is interested to get your product uh, to France or Netherlands or I don't know, Poland. Then you, you check the formalities to export. Again, there are already available platforms that, uh, that uh, provide some information on what to do. But the basics is that you will need the, to, issue, to be able to issue an invoice and then fill in, I think it's just one document online and attached things like, especially when it comes to the EU, this source documentation. And you are ready to go. Um, but this is something that is relatively simple, but still in this country is 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 totally like not 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 thought about because it's not ingrained right from the beginning. Mm. It's not. It's, there is not no mindset, as my colleague said here very well. Like even to go to Kumasi or or to Cape Coast, Takoradi, there already is the the. the so the, the Kobana, is, is it is it necessarily because? Like you said, the mindset once again and thinking mm -hmm. very locally or Accra focused. Yeah. So our focus is on how do I get my products to the people in Accra? And so even in the building of that value chain within the business, I'm thinking solely about Accra. So whereas, for example, someone in Kenya is from right from the beginning of the building of the business, they are thinking other countries. And so they have all of that right in the DNA. It's, it's sort of a very different conversation down, down here. Okay, so first of all, before you think of scale, expansion, you should have gotten the basics right and the foundation firm. But will, based on will, which you spring. Will the basics that you are setting in place not be dependent on where I intend to send my business? No. So with what she said, you want to export, let's say, sogum. Who would buy your sogum? So the first thing is, who am I selling to? 
Then the next question is, what kind of sogum, what grade, what is the standard they are looking for? And that is what will inform what you produce. So if I still go back to the Porter framework, you have to take the demand side information. That is what will inform your supply side activity. Let me ask this. If I do have a product, mm -hmm. and the person I'm thinking about buying the product is in Accra. Correction. You shouldn't have a product before you think of who is going to buy. You should know who is going to buy your product before you create the product. That is the problem. Now, that is the customer mindset, the customer centricity. Let, let what me, we have is the product centricity, where we create a product and start looking for markets. Let me, let me, let me that ask is not, you this That way. is the wrong, putting let the cat before the horse. Let me, hold on, hold on. Let me ask you this way. So yes, I am thinking about the person who's going to buy it or who's going to get it. Now, if I am restricted in terms of the potential market where it's going to. So if, in my mind, it's the people in this room who are going to get a hand of the product, mm -hmm. and I set my parameters mm -hmm. based on the people in this room, mm -hmm. naturally, when it comes to the point where I have to ship outside of this room, mm -hmm. the metrics will change. The dynamics okay. will change. So, so let me show you. You use a model. I have an, a, an academic side to me, so I will always go back to the academic side. The answer of model will look at your product in your existing market. Have you finished selling to everyone here? If you haven't, you haven't finished addressing this market, you have no business going to the next market. When you are optimized in this market, and that product still has demand in a new market, then you take that same product and you try the next market. When you have optimized this market, but you find out that this market needs another product, it may be related to yours or it may not be related to yours. And you can address it. Then you can look at creating this new product for the same market or creating this product for this market and a new market. So you always have options. But you have the basics to address. And the basics, especially if you want to do exports or international trade, is what is the standard of that market? That will inform, especially for a Greek, what you cultivate. Because what we cultivate here, the grades we have here, may not be acceptable. Because our grades for our grade for our great products sometimes are susceptible to pests. If you are going to the US and you are going to EU, they want to make sure that there are no pests. So you have to find out what the standards are. And that is what I'm saying that as of today, if you go to Ghana Export Promotion Agency, they have a lot of information. And just by going there and telling them what you want to do, they can help you get a hang of what the standards are. Then you can use that one to develop your products. Do the prototyping and everything before you get to mass production, where now you are coming to the value chain or the supply chain, starting from inbound logistics. That is where all the things he talked about before inbound logistics comes in. So now you've developed the product, you've developed prot prototype everything, intellectual property-wise. Have you secured it? so that nobody can steal it. Because as soon as you create a certificate of analysis of that product, the next person takes it, and he just has to reproduce it. So when it comes to medicines, for example, if Pfizer comes up with a product, once they test it and they do all the clinicals and it works, they lock it in with intellectual property. And then WHO will give them seven years to produce mass and sell, recover their investment, before it is open for generic versions to be produced in India and other, other places. So we have to learn and understand all these things before you even hit the market. 
Otherwise, as soon as you are done, somebody still takes a, a, um, a screenshot of your certificate of analysis, goes to the next job blog in China, they produce it, and they will have speed to market, which you don't have because you are small. Before you realize, they've taken the market, you are left with nothing. So, Sean, it, it appears and that partnership seems to be it. And you mentioned it. I think everybody on this panel has talked about it. It seems partnerships, it's either partnerships or forget about your, the growth of your business. And I mean, whereas I can control probably what my business is and how I manage the value chain, I can't necessarily say same for a potential partner. Now, with that in mind, when I am looking at partnerships and I'm looking at alliances, you know, how do I approach that with, with that potential fear in mind, of course? You, you, you've just focused on a particular kind of area, I think. Um, and I couldn't help think when you were talking about one of the challenges our project has. Um, part, part of the project that I'm involved in looks at business linkages. And I think the interesting thing from our perspective, we've been, we've been focusing this on, on this now for three and a half years. We know that um, businesses are not well interlinked. It's just an observable fact in the market. Partly it's, it's an information deficiency. There's, there's an information gap. That information really doesn't exist in the market. But it's also the fact that um, <laughs> businesses aren't businesses. And I... I I say this, hopefully in a positive way. Um, our project was, was, was predicated on the fact that we were supporting small and medium-sized enterprises. In other words, businesses that are registered and they employ people. They're not. <laughs> exactly. They're not even small, they're micro. For a larger businesses, particularly a foreign one, and you've mentioned Guinness, and in fact, we approached Guinness to see if they would act as a lead a mother hen for other businesses to create a linkages program. For larger businesses, what we've found is they, they have gone into the market looking for partners and have been failing to find them. They are struggling to find inputs, particularly input suppliers for their business. It partly explains why Ghana's import bill is so large. It's because there are very few producers that can produce it locally for production purposes. So an organization like Guinness, and there are other big, bigger businesses that do this, they create their own linkages programs. So they go out and identify singular individuals or businesses that they believe can support them. Um, so for, for in this particular example, cassava to produce alcohol. That's right. So they go out into the market and, and go, what can you do in terms of producing this type of cassava to this standard, to this time period, and deliver it at this price? If you can't answer those questions, you're, you're, you're potentially being ignored. 
If you can answer those questions, they will say, okay, we will help you deliver that to our business that we can produce alcohol. What we've struggled to find are businesses that are in a position in Ghana to, uh, to help that process, to in other words, act as mother hens for other businesses. But the reverse is also true. We've struggled to find chickens, little chicks, that were willing to participate in that kind of linkages program because their mindset is, this is my business, it's mine, I'm going to, yeah, and it's literally this, I'm going to control everything about it, it's mine. I don't want to share, I don't want to give up I any don't control. Want a yeah, I don't want a partner, I don't want to share information. I don't want to give equity. Yeah. So you, we are literally struggle, struggling. Even if you, if you, even if some businesses have a view of partnership is a good idea, the majority of, of output producing entities in Ghana are basically not switched on to that kind of approach. And we have struggled with this for three and a half years, and we're not sure what the answer is. Margot, do, do you tend to find this is, is also similar in, in, in your field of operation as well? Oh, thanks. Yes, yes, totally agreed with Sean. Huh? Um, the Business Linkages project is, uh, is under the umbrella of the EU activities in Ghana, so... Uh, so we are in, in uh, the same team, let's say, <laughs> on that. Um, what to add to that? Um, really, really, um, colleagues out there, partner and be out there, be on the market, make yourself visible and take advantage of the digital technologies, but also gain digital skills. And maybe that brings me to say that to, to count nowadays as an um, as a international producer, you need for your business to, be the, to become digital and also to become uh, environmentally sustainable. Because for importers such as the European Union, there is more and more checks on how sustainable are your business methods. I don't know if soon they will not go as far as checking if the waste that you create, uh, that for example from uh, turning cassava into the uh, flour or gari, right? What is left? I don't know what's the name of uh, this. Waste yeah, the waste, but the, the, the cassava waste, uh, uh, these things. That they might soon say, oh, but if you threw it out, we don't want this product. Mm. So be careful. Try to do business in a circular way as well. That's Circularity. That's it's that's the buzzword. And also very interesting area because you can get even more profits out of it. William. Revenues. Yes. Revenues. And then... So be sustainable, think of environment, think of circularity, and then back to digital skills. If you lack something, I think there are great um, uh, businesses, ecosystem support organizations and hubs already out there. Uh, MEST is one of them. Chat to these guys, maybe they can help you. 
So, so okay, I, I will stop here because... Right. Okay, yeah. William. Yeah, just, just on the finance bit, um, we've, we've identified some of these problems and, and we know them because you go looking for client to finance, um, whether they are big or small. Uh, SME head is here. She's, she's been passionate and we've all been passionate about working with SMEs, but sometimes finding them becomes a problem and it's been mentioned. But we have made it our goal to get out there and identify them. Identify them in partnerships. So like we mentioned, identify a bigger organization that is into processing, who are those suppliers. So we have a, a product that deals with supply chain. Let's go out there together with the, with the, the bigger company. Let's identify those uh, uh, suppliers. Let's see. And currently, we are working on one just to make sure that they will get the produce to feed their, their, their operations. So that is very important for us as a bank. At AFSA, we are working with various. And we, we recognize that the youth is key in this, in this discussion. And so we've gone into partnerships, the MasterCard Foundation partnerships, that would help us to reach out to these youth and women who are into uh, businesses to make sure that we can, we can grow them. We need to start from somewhere. Um, the issue that has come up, and very topical, is the issue about interest rates. Are we able to you know, get rates for them? These are discussions that have to be had. And we are really engaging. What can we do to sustain our businesses to grow? If not, like, like we all know, we would import everything. everything. We, are, we, are, we are importing you know, most of the things, but we'll continue to do that, and, and we won't get anywhere. And I guess it makes it worse when we work in silos exactly and not the as, point. as partnerships. Exactly yeah. the point. If we don't form partnerships, if the, if the producer doesn't know that he has to, if you, have, you are in Zabzugu and you can't, you have a 20 bags or 50 bags of, of a commodity and you can't bring it down, you definitely need to link up with someone who would be able to aggregate it, who would be able to hire a, a truck coming all the way from Burkina to pick it up. We, there's the need for that partnerships. And if we don't get that, we, we, won't go in, we won't go far. We need to get, especially the bigger organizations, bigger companies, work with us as financial institutions and with all the other collaborators within the value chain to make sure that we can, we can get a mass of uh, uh, produce coming to them. The challenge we've had mainly has been also production. Our productions have been low, low in terms of yield, low in terms of even areas. We talked about fertilizer and how, how the issues are. We are not getting these things going down there and coming up in terms of, in terms of produce, and we need to work on that. Governor, and I, I, a part of it also, and I asked Sean this question, I'm going to ask you, because Sean answered it in one, in one, on one side, but in order for a partnership to thrive or, or anything like that, it needs a two to basically work together. Yeah. Like I said, I know my strengths, I know my weaknesses, mm. but I don't know the strength that you have and your weaknesses and where your loopholes are. Okay. How, how, do we, how does any entrepreneur in this room or any business owner in this room mm -hmm. get over that or try and work to fix that? Okay, so <clears throat> in procurement, we have something we call supplier positioning. And there's a model we use, it's called the Carlage model. That looks at your cost or impact on your profit 
and your supply market risk. Now, if your impact is high and your supply market risk is high, it means you need strategic relationships. So you decide that I need someone to partner with strategically to deliver this because there's a narrow market base for you to play from. Or normally it's a, like a one source you have to play with. You need a partner who also has a view of you that matches yours, like sees you to be a strategic partner. Then it will work. Now, if the partner views you as a nuisance, but you view him as a strategic partner, it's a mismatch. That relationship is not going to work. So when we are doing the supplier positioning, we assess ourselves and position the types of relationship we, we need with specific suppliers for specific commodities. And we also do the flip side of it, which is called the Dutch windmill, from a Dutchman called Ayam Van Wiel. And you use that also to get um, the customer positioning of the, the supplier, of how good you are as a customer. So for example, if you are someone who pays on time, normally every supplier wants to work with you. So they want to become a strategic partner with you. And if he has the volume of his business with you is significant, then he knows he makes his money from you, so he becomes strategic. Then you can work together. So that is how we do the positioning. On the basis of the conversation we had, and interestingly, we are using Guinness as an example here. I have worked with Guinness before. That's about 12 years ago. I was there when we started looking at localizing our commodities. So building the Sogum value chain started when I was there. And we had to work through a te technical agency to help orchestrate it. So the point you, uh, Sean made about a mother hen, you would always need a value chain orchestrator who would anchor it and bring the people together. Because true, you won't find the market for them to take. But you go on the flip side as well. You won't get the farmers who are willing to produce. So you need someone to invest time and money to build the value chain from the base up. And to do that, in Ghana, it is particularly difficult because you have to invest a lot of money for a significant number of years without getting returns and wait for it to mature before you can get. Hold, hold on, hold on, just, just a second. So go. Blue Skies, as an example, had to go backwards, which is backward integration, to go and build the farms. If I take Unilever, that is Unilever's model some years back when I started working, and I worked in Unilever, where they would go to the farms, create the outgrowers, and use, it, use their farm as the anchor to get the palm oil that will feed the factory in Tema to produce. So you always need that mother hen or their orchestrator who will bring everyone around. But you need to invest over a period of five to eight years or 10 years before it will start giving you the yield. Unfortunately, in manufacturing today, the margins are so low, the profits are so low, so they don't have the space, the fiscal space to invest in these things, and that is what makes it very difficult. So if it is going to work, it is my brother who must aggregate these people and put them together in an orchestration. Unfortunately, 20 years back when, I, or 24 years back when I started working, banks had departments called project offices where they had people with different skill sets in that place, 
and they did project management and developed the market to ensure sustainable revenues. Now, the banks don't see this as core to their business anymore. So they've done away with those departments. And so now they go chasing for accounts that they haven't developed. And so they are not finding them. So if it's going to work, you, would, you have the money. You have to be the value orchestrator. Bring these people together and help them with inputs and whatever it is and grow with them. Over five years, it will begin to generate the, 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 the traffic you are looking for. And, and that's where we draw the curtains down on the show today. I do hope it was beneficial to you because it was very eye-opening for me. Well, lots of lessons to be learned, of course. And I do hope that in the building of your business moving forward, you will take your value chains very, very seriously. That's where we draw the curtains down on the show today. My name is Philip Pashon. Do have an amazing, amazing rest of the day. Till next week, stay techie.